So uh, you see that you're, the title this, this morning is This Christmas God Makes Promises and Keeps Them and uh, just to uh, remind ourselves that over uh, the previous weeks we've looked at how the book of Hebrews was written to Jewish people who were descendants, remember the Jews were descendants of Abraham, natural descendants from his family. And these Jews that the writer of the Hebrews was writing to were Jews who had become Christians. And God was encouraging them to grow up spiritually and to believe and to press in for more of God's promises. And he's still saying the same thing to you and me today. There's always more. God has always more for us, more truth for us to press into. He was warning them not to drift and doubt God's word and they had started to do that until they'd actually reached the point we saw last week where they'd become spiritually dull and sluggish. And the danger was that they might actually compromise and go back into the old Jewish stuff instead of pressing on with the truth of what Jesus had done and pressing into the truths of the Christian faith, which was the fulfilment of the Jewish religion. They were in danger of going back and kind of mixing up with some of their old religious beliefs. How many people know that it's possible for us and, and very profitable for us to start to go backwards instead of forwards? And God doesn't want us to do that. He doesn't want us to go back the way. He wants us to keep pressing forward, trusting him. And this was the danger that they were about to go back into old religious ways of the Jewish faith that, were, that had been fulfilled in Christ. And the, whoever was writing this letter, some people think it was Paul, I don't know, doesn't say. Whoever was writing this letter to the Hebrews was encouraging them to go forwards. And you'll remember we looked over the past couple of weeks that, that Hebrews was encouraging them to, to, to go to Jesus, who was already in heaven, who was already their high priest. Not to go back to the old Jewish religion, to earthly high priests that could never actually do very much for them, but that they had a high priest now who was in heaven, and to go to him, because he could help them uh, in a way that no other human, be no human being could help them, and that he was there in heaven already, and wanting to show them grace, and give them the help that they needed. And so last week we looked at some of these, these verses in Hebrews 6, which were very difficult to understand, and I'm going to actually read them again, because I think it's important uh, that we that we just uh, bring into the light what it says here. It says, For it's impossible to restore and bring again to repentance those who have been once for all enlightened, who have consciously tasted the heavenly gift and become sharers of the Holy Spirit. You could say those were definitely people who had become Christians. This is Hebrews 6, verses 4 to 6. So he says, It's impossible to restore them and bring them again to repentance for those who have consciously tasted the heavenly gift and have become partakers of the Holy Spirit and have felt how good the word of God is and the mighty powers of the age and world to come. So it's impossible if they then deviate from the faith and turn away from their allegiance, it's impossible to bring them back to repentance. For because while as long as, you notice that's in the Amplified, I'm reading the Amplified now, which gives a fuller meaning in the Greek, while as long as they, uh, while as long as they nail upon the cross the Son of God afresh, as they, and are holding him up to contempt and shame and public disgrace. In other words, it's impossible for them to come back 
to faith uh, so long as they are disgracing Jesus. You can't bring people back to repentance if they're dead set to go their own way. And also we need to remember that he was speaking to the Jews who were in danger of going back to old ways. And remember it was the Jews who had hated Jesus and didn't believe he was the son of God and crucified him. So if they went back to the Jewish religion, they would be going back to people who wanted to crucify, it was like crucifying them all over again because they were, they were forgetting that they belonged to Jesus and that Jesus was the Messiah and he had already died on the cross for their sins. Do you get it? So I've been praying this week, Lord, help us to grasp the truth of this because we want, to, we, want to, we want to speak about the scriptures. We don't want it to, in any way to be uh, unfaithful. We want to be faithful to what the scriptures are actually saying. I personally believe these were, this was a warning to these Jewish believers about going back into the Jewish faith to the people who had already crucified Jesus. And to me that makes sense. But you see the interesting thing is that today we're going to finish this same chapter and this same chapter goes on to talk about the security of the believer. And he uses Abraham, who was the father of the Jews, to prove their security. So these verses, I think, have to be kept in context. I don't think they tie in with the rest of Scripture at all. They're not, they, don't, they don't apply to people like us who have trusted Jesus and are continuing to trust Jesus and who have an ongoing relationship with Jesus because... We are secure. Our salvation is secure. And we looked at that last week. And Maureen, why are you going all over this again this week? Because you looked at it last week. So we'll just let that go now. All right, so we're going to continue with the next part of what I believe God wants to say to us. Because I believe that God wants us to look this week at the life of Abraham. And I know, oh my goodness, we've, we've spent like a few months there, was it this year or last year, going back over Abraham's life. So I'm not going to do it all in, in one but it's just a few things that I think we need to bring out about Abraham because Abraham was the man who did believe God who did press into the promises he was the he was the father of the Jewish nation and he's known as uh, the father of the Jews and he's known for his faith he was a man who believed God Romans 4 and 3 says Abraham believed God and it was accounted unto him for righteousness he was a man of faith. Now, he wasn't perfect. Abraham made lots of mistakes and he went backwards on different occasions. But he was a man who got to know God. And you see, if you look back and we haven't time to go into it all, you'll remember that in the Garden of Eden that God had promised after the serpent tempted Eve and after they'd sinned. Do you remember God spoke to the serpent and he said that he was going to bruise the serpent's heel. Uh, through, uh, it was going to bruise the serpent's head through the Messiah, through the promised Messiah who was going to come. And of course, if you, if, you, if you take time and you read through Genesis, you'll see that the promise of that seed from the woman, from Eve, you can see down through the family line how it eventually gets down to Abraham. And if you took time to look and study the whole of the Old Testament, you'd see it goes from Abraham right down through many a time near, near extinction. But God preserves the seed of the woman right down into Matthew where we see Jesus coming to the manger. And so we see that God met Abraham while he was still uh, living in a pagan country in Ur of the Chaldees. Uh, he was living there and God met with him and called him. 
It says in Acts 7, the God of glory appeared to our father Abraham and said, get out of your country and away from your relatives and come to a land that I will show you. And we see that, that, that God revealed himself to Abraham and he promised him, he promised Abraham that if he would get up and leave everything that was familiar and go on a journey of faith with God, God promised that he would give him descendants that would outnumber the sand of the seashore and the stars in the sky. God wanted to make Abraham a man of faith. And Abraham said yes, because he chose to believe God and to act in obedience. So do you see the parallel already that God's speaking to these Jews who are Christians and he's saying look back to your father Abraham he was a man of faith he kept pressing on so he's using Abraham as an example to them and you know what I believe he's going to use Abraham for us this morning to challenge us about where we are and about what God wants to do in our hearts as well so he was a man of faith that God called and in Exodus 15 and again we haven't time to go into a lot of that but in Exodus 15 I would love that over the Christmas period and mind you you've got a good few weeks yet even before Christmas four or five weeks almost before four weeks is it four weeks to Christmas you know you've got time and in the new year actually read the full scriptures here read read these full um, scriptures that I've put in your notes read them and ask the Holy Spirit to speak to you through them as you read about Abraham and uh, you see uh, Abraham uh, in Genesis 15 God actually met with him again in chapter 12 he told him I'm going to bless you and I'm going to make you a blessing and you're going to be a blessing to all the people on the earth and then he met him again in chapter in chapter uh, 15 and he actually cut a covenant with him now the old testament talks about cutting a covenant because it cutting it meant cutting an animal it meant shedding of blood because without blood there's no remission for our sins and even in the old testament blood had to be shed when god was serious about making a covenant and there's an amazing uh, chapter there chapter 15 of genesis where God met with Abraham and cut animals in pieces and where God actually made a covenant with him, a strong covenant that he would keep his promise. And God actually prophesied to Abraham, and I didn't have this in your notes and I wasn't even going to go down this, but just to mention, God actually told him and gave him a glimpse into the future of his descendants, that they would go down into Egypt, that they would be taken captives, made slaves down there. I mean, God revealed a lot to Abraham. And then later on uh, in chapter 17, uh, we can read where God met him again and where he changed his name. God said, you're not going to be called Abram, A-B-R-A-M, which means exalted father. You're going to, you're going to be called Abraham, A-B-R-A-H-A-M, meaning father of a multitude. Now, Abram was getting older by this time, and God had promised he was going to make him a father of a multitude. The only problem was he didn't have one child yet. In fact, he was getting on in years, and he and the wife were a childless couple. Isn't it amazing that when God gives promises so often, it looks as if there's no chance of that promise being fulfilled? Because instead of, of, of being a man with a lot of children, he was childless. Whenever God said, oh, by the way, I'll change your name. It's not exalted father. 
is actually father of multitudes. I'm sure Abraham went away scratching his head. I still haven't got one, one child. But God seems to love to do things like this. God seems to love to confound the weak and to confound the wise and to, to do things in his own way. And you see, it was after many spiritual encounters with Abraham in all kinds of situations. It was after Abraham had let God down, and you know we've, we've already talked about Abraham, whatever last year it was, and we've done it a couple of times, we've gone over Abraham's life, and we love it. And you know, we've seen how he let Sarah down a bucket full, how he went down to Egypt and he put her in a vulnerable, he didn't, he wasn't a perfect man by any means. He let God down, but you see God, so often, God fulfills his promises on the basis of his word, not always, not on our behaviour alone, but he loves us to step up and to trust him. And you know, after many failures, the thing was that Abraham kept going back to God. The covenant kept being renewed because Abraham had a real relationship with God. He hadn't, he hadn't, he hadn't, he hadn't turned away from God. He kept, even though he was struggling at times, he kept pushing on and God kept working with him. And that's the kind of relationship that God wants to have with you and me. He knows it's not always easy, but he wants us to trust him and push on through it. And you see, by the time that Abraham was 100 years old, he had one son. One son at 100 years old. God had, had given him the promise. He'd given him the token of the promise, the one boy, and his name was Isaac. And you'll see, I've put in your notes that, that Isaac means laughter and joy. And I just want to remind you that when God fulfills promises in your life and mine, we just want to laugh with joy. Because the things you're praying for and agreeing with God's word and declaring over difficult situations and declaring victory over them when victory comes you want to laugh don't you and you want to you're full of the joy of the lord and god that's what god the kind of life that god wants us to have to push in and push in even if it means a struggle even if it means waiting and to believe god and that he'll come through because you know what without faith without believing him it's impossible to believe to, to please god if we don't believe him if we don't have faith in him and what I love about it is that the promise was fulfilled. When Isaac was born, God kept his word in giving him a son. And it happened when he was an old man. And I've written in your notes here, often God's best plans for us are fulfilled in old age. Praise the Lord. Who says that? <laughs> you see, God, he saw the promise fulfilled when he was 100. But do you know God was going to give him even more challenges in the years that were to come. Over the next 30 years, he was going to have more, another, much more living to do. And I want to encourage those of you that might, that the enemy might be whispering in your ear, your best years are over you. I just want to take a hold of that and throw it somewhere. <laughs> because I want to declare that your best years are in front of you. And I came across this wee Jewish sort of proverb thing. That's not the word of God or anything, but I just stuck it in because I kind of liked it. Here's, what, here's an old saying that the Jews say. At the age of 40, a person is fit for discernment. At 50, for counsel. And at 80, for special strength. Are you up for it? 
I'll tell you, girls, I am believing to get stronger if I'm getting older. I am believing to see the best happening in my latter years. I'm not looking backwards, are you? We need to look forward and we need to declare over our lives that God has the best yet to come. And all the suffering that you've gone through and all the stuff that's worrying you right now and the problems that are around you, God wants to use them to train you and to prepare you for what's up ahead. That you might shine more like him, that you might be changed to become more like Jesus. That you might grow in faith and that you might that you might be someone who will be who will be who will be full of God's light and love to the world around you. That you might be a light wherever you go and that others will look at you and see Jesus and want to get to know him because you shine. You shine his light and his love everywhere you go. Do you ever see the porridge oats thing there used to be a wee, wee program and when the, after they had their porridge oats someone down and walked around there was a wee glow all around them. I would love to be like that. Would you not? That everywhere we go that we would just glow for Jesus. And whenever there's negative talk going on and whenever there's you know things happening that, that we would be able to speak the truth in love and be able to shine and able to encourage others. Hey, don't go that way because that will lead you to depression and lead you to hopelessness. Come this way because Jesus has plans and Jesus wants to build you up and make him more like himself. And whenever we are like Jesus, we'll become more beautiful. Do you ever know it's possible that we're getting more beautiful? You know, it's good to get the creams and all. <laughs> but you know, there's a beauty that actually is so amazing that it gets better the older we get. And it's nothing to do with creams, as much as I love them. <laughs> and you see, God was going to was going to challenge him even, you know, even when he was even older than a hundred. In fact, we believe that, that by the time that uh, it was, by the time that God actually challenged him to offer up Isaac, we believe that Isaac was probably in his thirties. So Abraham was actually one hundred and thirty when God gave him the greatest test in his life. So get ready for a few tests. There might be a few coming up, but you know when we trust God, He brings us through and actually takes the stuff off us and cleanses us and and, and refines us. And I'll tell you this week. Ladies, this week I have just gone through what I would call God bringing to my mind again things that need refined in me. I looked at the mirror the other day and I just really felt, Lord, I, I, I could see my flesh this week. Do you ever feel like that? I, I just could feel, Lord, I feel unclean. I feel I need you to cleanse me again because I'm drifting into old things and old thoughts and things that don't, aren't really reflecting who you are. I'm really having to go through a wee process of giving them to God and saying, I'm sorry, Lord, I, I want you to cleanse me. I want you to discipline me. I want you to take that stuff off me because I want to be free of it. I want to go forward. I want to trust you in every single thing. And you see, the thing was that, that God was testing Abraham. Would he give up his son Isaac or would he hold on to him? See, there's always a danger. You see, you've got to remember that all the promises of God were in Isaac. If Isaac wasn't there, then the, the prop, God's promise couldn't happen. He couldn't have descendants if he didn't have Isaac. And God was saying, well, offer up Isaac as a sac burnt sacrifice. How's that going to work? All the promises were in Isaac. But you see, God doesn't want us to have any kind of idol. 
Because if we have any kind of idol, that means that there's an area in our hearts that Jesus is not Lord. And if there's an area in your heart that Jesus is not Lord, then that's an area that the enemy can get in. Because that's an empty area. And that's a place where Satan can get a foothold. He can get a foothold in that area. And when he gets into it, he can then begin, as we, we had an amazing teacher here on Sunday night, and he warned again about the foothold becoming the stronghold. And he warned about how in, in the, during the war in Normandy, how when they, it was so important to get the foothold on the beach in Normandy so that they could then take over and push the Nazis back. And that's Satan's strategy, to get a foothold in some area where Jesus is not Lord. And then he gets the legal right to get a foot there and then he can push back and take over more of your life. And that's why Jesus is so particular that we don't have idols. Because he knows that we, when we put him first and we say, Lord, you're Lord in my life in every area. You're the Lord in my life in my finances, in my relationships, in, 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 my, in my spare time, in, in, my, in my speech. And everything that I do, I want you to be Lord. I want to do it. You rebuke me if I'm stepping out of line, Lord. I want you to be Lord of my life. When we do that, then we're giving him the right that he is the one who is Lord of all. And the enemy can't come in because all of those areas are covered. We can't keep the enemy out. Only Jesus can. And that's why it's so important to have Jesus Christ as Lord. And so he challenged, he challenged Abraham to give up Isaac. And as I prepared this, I just felt it was important. I wrote in your notes, has God challenged you about idols in your life? What are your hopes built upon? What is your Isaac? And I've said God will not take second best, second, second place. He wants to bless you, but he knows that any idol in your heart will destroy you it will give a place or a foothold to the devil to attack and devour you it's only by putting god first that you'll get god's best that's why matthew 6 says seek ye first the kingdom of god and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you put him first and he'll take care of all the rest and that is i just think that is key to all of our lives and so we see that Abraham offered up Isaac. And I just wanted to stop here for a moment because I was reminded, you know, in a way I could have left this out, but, you know, I, I just am a real sucker for Abraham. <laughs> I just love this story. And, you see, I couldn't help but, but remember. You see, Isaac was a man of around in his 30s, and Abraham was a man of 130, roughly, 100 and something. So whenever Abraham went to take Isaac and offer him up on a burnt offering, Isaac could well have overpowered his father. Do you get that? Because he was strong and in his youth, and Abraham was an old man, maybe a bit doddering. But you see, the thing is that Isaac was a willing sacrifice. He was willing to obey his father and to lay down on that altar and give up his life. And what does that remind us of? What's that a picture of? Jesus, who was a willing sacrifice, who was willing to obey his Father, who was willing to become the perfect sacrifice for our sin. Isn't that amazing? That he was willing to leave heaven and obey his Father and come down and be the sacrifice 
for our sin. And you see, I believe with all my heart that that's why Jesus was able to say that Abraham rejoiced to see his day and he saw it and was glad. Do you know why? When Abraham was offering up his son Isaac, I believe that God showed him and gave him a revelation of what God the Father was going to do for the world. I believe that God was showing him that God was planning to do the same thing by giving his son as a willing sacrifice. And it says that Abraham obeyed God and it says that, that he believed that even if Isaac was, was dead, that God could still raise him to life again. And even in that picture, even in that picture is a picture of the resurrection because you might as well say Abraham did offer him up. God inter- remember God intervened and said, Abraham, Abraham, don't, don't lay a hand on, this, on, the, on, the, on the boy. And you see, Abraham, in a, in a sense, saw his son step off that altar. Just a picture of the resurrection. A picture of what God the Father was going to do for our sins. And so, as we look at all of this and as we see some of the stuff that went on in Abraham's life, we can see that going through tests doesn't mean that you don't belong to God. The complete opposite. If you're going through trials and difficulties, then that's a good sign that you actually do. It's proof of your salvation because, you see, God uses the tests and the trials to equip you and to give you insight, spiritual insight, and to equip you for your life and to make you able to bless others. And it was actually through all of this experience that Abraham was able to see the promise fulfilled and was able to see that his seed actually did become like the sand of the sea and like the stars in the sky. When we look at the Jewish nation, we see the natural offspring of, of, uh, of Abraham. But you see, it's even greater than that because God didn't only say he was going to bless the Jews through Abraham. He said he was going to bless the nations through Abraham. And when you read Galatians 3, 6 to 9, you can see that we are, we're called, we believers, Jew and Gentile, those who have trusted Jesus, we are his spiritual offspring. God kept his promise to Abraham. And you see, I believe that through this, using Abraham as an example, I believe God was showing these people, look, your father Abraham kept pressing on. I made a covenant with him and he and I were in that covenant and we pushed through. And I believe God was showing these Jewish people, don't you be less than Abraham. Abraham had an Old Testament covenant. You've got a New Testament one in my blood, in Jesus' blood. And I believe he was, he was showing them through Abraham's life, look, use Abraham as an example. It's a relationship. When you trust Jesus, it's an ongoing relationship of love and faith. And God loves you and me enough to challenge us when we drift away from him or when we get a bit dull and sluggish. Would you agree with me? The times that you've felt a bit dull and sluggish, I'll tell you that's when God gives you a bit of it. Do you ever feel it? It's a proof that you belong to God. The Bible says that, that if you belong to him, he'll discipline you. There's a proof that you're, that you're his child. If, he, if you don't feel his discipline and you don't feel him giving you an odd prod to sort of waken up and get a few things sorted out, then you better look around and make sure that you've actually trusted him. Because 
Discipline from God is proof that you belong to God. And you know, so often, it happened to me just this last week, just that sense of God saying, come on, there's a few things here I want to get sorted out. And you know what, I actually bend, it, it, actually, it actually really touched me deeply, that God, just a reminder that God loves me enough to correct me and wants to wash that old stuff off me. And you know, it's good to have a healthy fear of God. I felt fear of God this week. I didn't want stuff like that. I don't want pride. I don't want wrong thoughts. I don't want nastiness. I don't want anything that's not of Christ. And I know you don't either, or you wouldn't be here this morning. And God wants us to become more and more like him. And it says that God swore to Abraham that he would fulfill what he had promised, even though Abraham had to endure patiently before he realised and obtained what God had promised him. I just feel it's really important that we know that you and I, at the moment that we ask Jesus into our hearts as our Saviour, at the moment that we realise that he died for our sins, that he paid the price and he wants relationship and that his blood cleanses us from all sin when we receive his sacrifice for sin and enter into a covenant relationship with him, we will then experience times when he will challenge us, when he will give us a bit of a shake to, to take a bit of the old flesh off us, times when he will, when he will discipline us, times when he will um, uh, encourage us to sit up and get things sorted out because that's what a real living relationship's like. It's not, a, it's not salvation. It's not a ticket to heaven and then just live whatever way you want. It's a, it's a connection, a covenant relationship with the King of Kings who wants to start from the moment of salvation to make you more like himself and to continue to, to, uh, to, 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 to sift you and to, to sort you and, and to cleanse you and encourage you and grow you until you come into spiritual maturity and begin to look more like Christ. It's an ongoing relationship. And that's what I believe is behind all of these verses to these Jewish people. They have become very sluggish and they were not, they were not um, going forward and moving forward. And the promise, the promise uh, that God gave to Abraham is the same promise that he gives to us. Let's just read some verses. I want to read these verses now from Hebrews 6, 13, and let's just read through them because we want to end with these verses today because I believe these verses give tremendous security and encouragement for us. So here's what it says, Hebrews 6, starting at verse 13. This is where he starts to, to, to use Abraham. For, for when God made a promise to Abraham, because God could swear by no one greater, he swore by himself, saying, Surely blessing, I will bless you, and multiplying, I will multiply you. Do you know where he said that? He said that whenever Abraham was willing to offer up Isaac. He stepped right in there at that crucial moment, and God reassured him. God will reassure you over your lifetime, at different crucial times in your life. He will reassure you that he is with you, that he's for you. And, and it says here that he actually... He actually swore by himself. He said, surely blessing I will bless you and multiplying I will multiply you. And so after Abraham had patiently endured and obtained the, prop, the promise, for indeed, men's, for indeed men indeed swear by the greater, and an oath for confirmation is for them an end of all dispute. 
In other words, if, if, if among ourselves and among other other friends and human people, when we you know when you go up to stand in a court, you put your hand up and you take an oath, don't you? When you're going to give evidence in court, and and that's supposed to be the end of it. If you take the oath in court, that's a very serious thing. You're you're supposed to tell the truth. That's supposed to be the end of the matter. You've taken an oath. Well, in the same way, it says God, thus God determining to show more abundantly to the heirs of promise the unchangeableness of his counsel he confirmed it with an oath god was telling abraham i am swearing to you i'm giving you my oath that i'm going to fulfill all that i've promised you that by two immutable things that's the promise that god gave and the oath in which it's impossible for God to lie, that we might have strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold of the hope set before us. The uh, Amplified puts it this way, God also in his desire to show, to show more convincingly and beyond doubt to those who were to inherit the promise. I want you to stop there. That was Abraham, but that's also us. And God was, was so, wanting so much to show convincingly and beyond doubt to us who were going to inherit the promise that the unchangeableness of his purpose, of, his, the, of the unchangeableness of his purpose and plan, he was so determined that he actually gave us his oath. This was so that by two unchangeable things, his promise and his oath, it would be impossible for God to ever prove false or deceive us. We who have fled for, to, to him for refuge. Listen folks, that's us. We have fled to him for refuge and he is never going to deceive us or prove false. One of the translations says he'll never tell us a lie. Why? So that we might have mighty indwelling strength and strong encouragement to grasp and lay hold of the hope appointed for us and set before us. You know, I just would love that we could get a hold of this, that we are secure in Christ. You know, these verses in Hebrews about it's impossible to renew to repentance and all of that, people, I believe, have taken those out of, isolated out of the rest of Scripture. And a lot of Christians have have become afraid that they might lose their salvation. And I, I believe that God, that if, if you trust Jesus for your salvation and are resting on him and living your life in obedience to him and wanting to obey, to, me, to obey him even though you fail, but you want to obey him and you want to be constantly cleansed, you need to know that you're safe and you're secure in this life and in the next. I believe that's what God wants you to know. I remember I got saved when I was eight. And for the first couple of years of my life, I was very doubtful. I was, Lord, I'm believing, I'm believing. And I put an awful lot of emphasis on me believing. And I can remember up until I was about 12, having those wee secret moments with God, just, just going over it again. Lord, I I'm really am believing. And I hope I'm believing in the right way. And just going over that. And I remember there's an old man used to come to our house. And there'll be some people here who remember him. He was, he was an old preacher and he was called Robert Love. And he used to come and stay with us and we lived out in Stramore. We lived in a wee long house that was built on a hill. 
And Robert Love used to come and stay with us, and he was he was a preacher, and he was he was um, he was just unique. He used to get up on the platform, and he would he would quite easily tell you a story, and he would be actually acting out the story, speaking to about three different people, a conversation that was going on. You never heard the case being told like it by anybody else. I never have. I remember to this day the stories he used to tell, and he would tell, give this, and then he'd get into another position. And he, he was amazing, and he used to come and stay with us, and he wore a hard hat and big heavy shoes and my brother Brendan and I we we thought the world of him and he used to come and stay with us and in those days he used to have weeks and weeks of meetings anybody remember that like 10 weeks of meetings or something and he used to come and stay with us so it could be for a long time and I remember he used to be great fun and we used to hide in the wee paddock just opposite we used to hide behind the ditch and we knew he would be coming like hide and seek and then we had run out and run down the hill and I can still to this day hear the big boots running down the hill after us. He was great fun. But there was something that Robert Love used to say and you know one day God used it to just give me total assurance and I never ever have doubted my salvation since. He said, can you execute a dead man twice? And I remember a penny dropped Jesus was crucified for me and we can't do it again and when he's when he died for me God's not going to he's not going to he's not going to he's not going to take me and I don't have to be crucified as well he did it once once was enough and he rose from the dead triumphant and he's seated, seated at the right hand of the father right now as your high priest and he's interceding that means he's praying for you and when you get into those tight spots, he's praying that you'll get through. And he is your, the one who is your high priest now, different to any of those high priests that we read about in the Old Testament. Let's read the last couple of verses and we'll finish with these last few verses because I tell you, when I read these verses, I could get so excited. So just watch, I don't fall off the platform. <laughs> All right, it says here, as we, as we just finished the last one, from verse 19. Verse 18, just a reminder says that it's impossible for God to lie and that we are supposed to have strong consolation. Those of us who have fled for refuge, we're supposed to lay hold of the hope that's set before us. This hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, which enters the presence behind the veil where the forerunner has entered for us, even Jesus having become high priest forever. I'm not going to read the last couple of lines about Melchizedek because we're going to look at him in January. Now I wanted to just finish with these because I just think these verses are some of the most amazing verses that we have in, in the Bible. I just think it's so important that we get a hold of this. That we are actually anchored to Jesus. At the moment of salvation you, re you receive, you already have eternal life. You already have eternal life in you. And you're anchored to Jesus who has already gone through the veil. Now in the Old Testament, in the temple, the priests went through the veil to go into the holy place with sacrifice. But Jesus not, didn't go just through, this, through the veil in that sense. The veil was going through the heavens, right through the heavenlies into the presence of God. And so... And so Jesus is actually seated in heaven and we are anchored to him. That's how secure you are. 
That's how secure I am. That we have this hope, we have this anchor of the soul, which is, according to this, both sure and steadfast, which has already entered into the presence of God, already in heaven, heaven. And Jesus is the forerunner who has entered for us. Now, the thing was that in the Old Testament, when the, when the priests, uh, the Jewish priests, when they went through the veil once a year with sacrifice, they went in, in fear and trembling. They went in to present the animal sacrifice for the sins of the people, which was to, to cover sins for until the next year when they would go back in again. But nobody could follow. They weren't a forerunner. Nobody could go in, to the, in there after them. They were just going in, giving the sacrifice of blood and going out again in fear and trembling. And that covered sin. And the Bible, and we're going to see it as we go through Hebrews, the Bible says that, the, that the, the blood of animals could never take away sin. That was only pointing to Jesus. And he was going to suffer on the cross. And he was going to be the perfect sin bearer. He was not only going to be the priest, but he was going to be the sacrifice. And once he gave himself for our sins, once he bore our sins, and then rose from the dead as proof that he had overcome sin he was the perfect sacrifice with no sin had to be perfect or he would have been dying for his own sin but he was without sin and he died for our sin and when he rose from the dead he went through the heavens not just the veil of the temple but through the heavens into the very presence of God and we're anchored to him in heaven and he is sitting there and he is praying as our high priest for every situation that we go through he's praying for us we'll be winners and he's there ready to give us the help we need that when we come to him boldly he says come on in and ask me whatever you need i'm here to give you grace if you've sinned there's grace here to forgive you if you need help i'll give you the help that you need i'll give you the strength i'll give you the wisdom i'll show you how to pray i'll be with you i'm praying for you together we can do this together and he's seated in heavenly places and we're anchored to him that anchor is sure and steadfast that's what I'm depending on. Is that what you're depending on? That you're already anchored. You know, I read last night that, that uh, in the early Christian church, you remember whenever the Jewish people were being martyred, remember they were thrown to the lions and, and uh, many of them uh, just thrown into the arenas in Rome and were, and were martyred. So many believers in those early days, whenever the persecution against believers was so, so real. Do you know what they found in the catacombs? That's where they, a lot of these believers hid and many of them were buried, these martyrs. Do you know what they found in the catacombs? They found at least, uh, 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 it says that the anchor was a popular symbol in the early church and at least 66 pictures of anchors have been found in the catacombs. Can you imagine those early believers hiding, knowing that they were in danger of being thrown to the lions for their faith? And what are they drawing in the walls? They're drawing the anchor. Because they know that no matter what happens, that they're secure in Christ. They've got a hold of the truth that they were anchored in Christ. And they were willing to lay down their lives for him. And the anchor wasn't anchored downwards like a ship. They were anchored upwards. It was an upward anchor. And that's the way you and I are anchored. I would love that we could catch this today, that we could catch our, the, the reality of our security in Christ. And instead of it making us feel, oh, well, if we're secure, then we can do whatever we like. If that's your attitude, there's something wrong. 
But our security should be a motive to say, God, with your help now, I'm secure in you so I can run this race for you. And God, I want to be more like you and I want you to have your way and I want to bow my head down, please, but make whatever changes you need because I know I'll never be happy, I'll never be satisfied until you're the Lord of every department in my life. I want you to take over. I want you to have your way. I want you to show me how to do life. I want you to show me how to, how to get through that situation and how to get through that one. I want to do it your way and not my way. When we reach that point, guys, we are, we are set for breakthrough. We are set to see God breaking into areas that we never imagined that he could do. The question for you as we come to the end, does God keep his promise? And at this time of the year, as we think of Christmas, and we remember, and I get all fuzzy feelings when I think of Jesus coming to the manger, I don't know about you, but it still does it for me. When I think of God sending Jesus, and I think of Jesus looking around heaven, his eternal home, and leaving, knowing what was before him, when I think of him humbling himself, and entering a virgin's womb, and coming to this earth, in fulfilment of his promise to Adam and Eve in the garden. Excuse me, my throat's dry. When I think of the fulfilment of that and the fulfilment of his promise right down through scriptures, when I think of his fulfilment of his word to Abram, that he was willing to come, that he was willing to come and to give his life, to live the life of a, of a real human being. He was truly human, but he was truly God, and he came to die for our sins. And this time of the year, we remember that he came and he kept his promise. Remember, God does not lie. Satan's the author of lies. He's a specialist in the lying department. If you're listening to his lies, you won't have peace. If you're listening to his lies, your life will be miserable because he's a, 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 he, is, he is a condemner, he's an accuser, and he will not give you peace. I just wanted to, um, I just wanted to read you some verses before we finish from Numbers. This is a, a chapter that actually does prophesy about Jesus coming. And in the midst of it, it says, God is not a man that he should lie nor a son of man that he should repent. Has he said, and will he not do? Or has he spoken, and will he not make good? We need to know that we belong to a God who doesn't lie, to a God who wants the best for us, to a God who has put himself in the line, and a God that's inviting us to trust him. The Bible says, don't be... Don't be alarmed by the fiery trials that are all around you. It's part of the course, guys. It's part of the course. We're living in a real world with real problems. But listen, we have a real God. We have not only Jesus as high priest, but we have the Holy Spirit. And we want to remember that he also is interceding for us in ways that we cannot even understand. We have everything going for us. And as we approach this Christmas, I would love that you would just bring you yourself to the Lord. If you would just say, Lord, I know that I can trust you for my soul. I can trust you to bring me to heaven. But I also want to trust you for everything that's going on in my life. 
for all the difficulties, for all the situations, for all the people around me that I'm concerned about. God, I want to release them to you. I want to trust you. I want to trust you and I believe that you will show me how to behave myself and you'll take me through in your way, not necessarily mine, but in your way. And when we do that, guys, something happens that we begin to something happens when the joy begins to rise up because we're declaring him to be Lord of all in every area. And as he shows us how to get through whatever that difficulty is, he will take us through. It might take a while, but he's faithful. The one who promises is faithful and he will do it. Father, we just declare as we approach this Christmas season that you kept your word that right from the beginning of time, Lord, that you promised that you would send the Messiah. Lord, right from Genesis, you, you promised you would send him right down through Abraham. And Lord, you kept your word. I thank you, O oh God, that you are continue to keep your word all the time with us in so many different ways. And I just pray, O oh God, right now, that you, your precious Holy Spirit, would just move around every single woman here today. I pray, Lord, that your word would go deep. And Lord, whatever you're saying to each heart today, that you would let that word fall on good ground. And Lord, that there would be um, a harvest out of what we have heard today. We want to exalt your name, Lord. We want you to have all the glory. And we just thank you for coming. Thank you for being faithful. And thank you for going to the cross for our sins. We praise you and worship you. And thank you, Father, for your goodness to us. In Jesus' name. We said this morning that if we seek, seek Jesus first and his righteousness, that all, that all these things, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. And I just thought today we would finish off singing this hymn. It's a real rousing hymn about the fight that the church has to see his kingdom come. And I think if you don't know the words of it, when you hear the music, I think you'll, you'll be able to sing it. I think you'll know and you'll recognise the tune. I don't know if it's an old song that's been taken up or whether it's a new one. I don't honestly know. But we sung it in church on Sunday morning and Jane and I were buzzing and we looked at each other and said, well, we've got to sing that at EGOS. So stand to your feet and let's just sing this song uh, as we close. And we trust to see you, uh, God willing, in the new year. Have an amazing Christmas. We love you. And uh, we're here at the end as well if anyone wants a uh, prayer.